Dear Caroline, the first time I heard you years back at the Blue Room at Third Man, I knew I'd met a sister in the blues. You on that stage in front of all of them, two cool white folk in your black dress gave the blues her body. Your poems voiced a certain kind of southern black girl who wants nothing but to live out the sway of Bessie Smith and her chin. In your poems, the blues can conjure to the bone the kind of heartbreak that sets to motion Lady Day alone in her rocking chair. In your poems, the blues can stab and flatter, much the way with her gaze, Victoria Spivey could silence and shatter a juke joint down. To find a sister poet in the blues is to claim our wild back from the cage. You showed me how a black girl in the deep south can sustain herself on the blues. She can feed on the blues. To witness you in your poems is a whole ass feast of the blues. Your entire being specifying out those just so blue notes while you make whole worlds come to life. You showed me how the blues can give back her thickness to heart starved black girls. In your poems, the blues is a wide and worn kitchen table piled high and welcoming our woman to expand in a circle of girl, do you remember when? Get the gin and forget about him kind of sisterhood. Love, your Didi, Adia Victoria. Welcome to Call and Response from Sono Sound System, the show about the communal spirit of music making and listening. I'm Adia Victoria. I'm a musician, a poet, and a writer based in Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a Black woman from the Deep South, leaning into the blues to make sense of this world. So on this show, I talk about the blues a lot. The reason for that is because it's not just a set of chord progressions or even just a type of music. For me, the blues is more like a philosophy. I remember when I was 21 years old and I stumbled across the art of Skip James and Victoria Spivey. That moment for me was a realization. It allowed me to see myself clearer, to feel myself within my body, my voice, my skin, my hair. It allowed me to see the South. So today on Call and Response, I'm talking to blue scholar Caroline Randall-Williams. Caroline is a Harvard-educated poet. She's an author, scholar, and she's someone that's speaking about the blues in a way that transcends the music that you may think of when you hear the word blues. And I'm lucky to call her my sister poet, dear friend, and a fellow Nashville girl. In this episode, we'll get down to the brass tacks of our philosophy of the blues, the way the blues usurps and disrupts. I feel like this is pretty much a conversation that captures the heart and soul of this podcast. So y'all already know, in each episode, I create a callback playlist, a selection of songs inspired by the conversation. This week, I wanted to share songs with y'all that have allowed me to find sisterhood, find community, especially in this season where I have been so alone. Songs like Women Be Wise by Sippy Wallace and I'm a Woman by Coco Taylor. You can hear the playlist on Sonos Radio or over on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com Sonos. We'll leave a link to the playlist in the show notes. And now, y'all, let's get into the bones of the blues. Here's my conversation with my girl, my sister, Caroline Randall-Williams. Thank you for hanging out with me today. My pleasure, as always. Well, I just want to dive in. What does your life sound like right now? What does my life sound like right now? Yeah, what are you hearing? Oh, gosh. 
birds and my dog and the voices of my friends that I'm finally able to see because we're mostly vaccinated, the, the intimate crew. Yeah. And then musically, I just wrapped up teaching this class on the blues and my kids made this amazing playlist at the end of all of the songs that they had presented on. And I've been listening to Lead Belly, Where Did You Sleep Last Night? My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? So yeah, that's what my life sounds like right now. So you are a professor, you are an artist, an activist. When did the blues show up in your life as a, a source of liberation? Like how did you get <laughs> free in the blues? I think I should start by saying that I always admired and appreciated the blues, but when I was younger, it sounded only like the struggle, I think. Yeah. You know, because you get raised listening to Robert Johnson, listening to Bessie Smith. My mom was really good about making sure those sounds were in my ear, but they sound like something from a past that's distant and mm. that were a reflection of a time that was not just harder, but probably too hard. Mm. When I moved to Mississippi, I chose to go to Mississippi as pilgrimage I didn't know it was going to be a gift to myself the way it was, but I, you know, I drove across the Southern railroad tracks every day to teach school my first year. And the town where I taught school was where the Southern crossed the yellow dog, which is allegedly the crossroads where right. you know, RJ sold his soul to the devil. To the devil. The lay of that land gets in your bones and the sounds of it. And then you realize that those sounds that you heard when you were younger, they're just still residing there and they're very lively. And they just tell the truth. Yes. So I want to go back to the first time that I saw you performing a poem was, I think it was like 2018. It was at Third Man. And I remember seeing you on stage, watching you and, and listening to you speak. I was like, this is a blues performance. It hit me in the same place that the blues hit me. It was the delivery, the phrasing, the rhythm, the physicality. And it made me think of a poet who you actually introduced me to, um, Yusuf Kumanyaka, where he said, I want to be able to almost dance to the images I create because languages are the first music and the body is a great amplifier. How have the blues found, you know, a home in your body? Like, what do you feel when you're reciting your poetry, when you're bluesing your work? Hmm. Wow. It's like a Mobius loop. It's like, it's like folding on itself. I don't know where the where the writing ends and the body begins. Yeah. I think about, you know, as a poet, I don't have I don't have a bent note that I mm. can play. I can't pull a string up and make that sound. And I don't have the like moan in the back of the voice. I just have the space on the page, right? I have poems that I can't read without like tapping myself like yeah. you gotta snap your fingers you gotta slap your hip like you have to you stomp have your to, feet yeah you gotta stomp your foot so it gets it gets in your body like music does right but then sort of differently because it's the rhythms of how you want somebody to experience the waves of words that creates that bent note feeling when you don't have the bent note and you don't have the moan right. so i don't know i i that's a i, I just talked in a circle but I love the question, and how does the blues get in your body? I remember 
listening to you recite, you know, your poems, and I, I thought about Billie Holiday and how you love her song, I Must Have That Man, <laughs> and the way that Billie bends her notes, like she sings in between, like a note, like it's mm-hmm. not right, it's not wrong, but it's her. heart is broken, it won't ever bend. I ain't much caring just where I will end. I must have that man. You know, I think that she's very much, she's sort of the, the photo negative of what I was talking about, of how do you get a bent note onto the page, but then how do you get a whole story into a voice. Yes. Because that's what she does, right? Like, there's something about her phrasing and her way of being as she sings that tells, like, a whole story. It, like, the note bears a narrative. It's like, it, like, that wants words to it almost. So it's like, she's right. sort of this, I feel like she is such a, the writer's blues woman, right? Because she's just, mm. she is a whole story. Yes. Like, every time she performs, she's a whole story. Yes, I think about that community of Black sisterhood that has been, you know, just present throughout the the story of the blues. Black women singing each other's stories back to one another, bearing mm-hmm. witness. Have you listened to, if I haven't made you listen to this, like, the second you get home, just come to my kitchen. The National Archives has this, like, very brief clip of Zora Neale Hurston being interviewed by this, like, white reporter about how... You know, when she was doing her sort of anthropological research in the all-black communities of Florida, she the guy asked her how she learns a song. She sings this wonderful version of an old song called Hallam Effect, which I won't break your ears by trying to sing right now. <laughs> and then he's like, how do you learn it? And it's just sort of this like very beautiful or uh, iteration of call and response in real time. Yes. Yes. Uh, that I, I'm obsessed with, so we have to listen to that together. You said you uh, learned it in a crowd. How, mm. how do you learn most of your songs? I just get in the crowd with the people, and if they sing it, and I listen as best I can, then I start to join in with a phrase or two, and then finally I get so I can sing a verse, and then I keep on till I learn all the songs and all the verses, and then I sing them back to the people until they tell me that I can sing them just like them. I want to explore a little bit more your linking blues poetics and the black female body. I want to talk about your poetry collection, Lucy Negro Redux, which you published in 2015. In those poems, you're basically reimagining Shakespeare's dark lady as a black woman. You know, there's there there's suggestions in Shakespeare's uh, work, you know, that she's this dark-complected, dark-haired woman, and you take it a step forward and say, what if this was a Black woman? I'm curious, what, why was that important for you to create a space of belonging for Black women in, in Shakespeare, something that is so notoriously of the white canon? Um, I think... Because that's radical, girl. That's, <laughs> you, you took a big bite with that one. That took a lot of fucking nerve. <laughs> I think... One, I like to call things like I see them. Uh, And I think that so much of how erasure has worked in the West is when people try and make you say that you're not seeing what you're seeing (laughs) or that you weren't there when you know you were. Right. You know, you read, uh, if hairs be wires, black wires grow from her head. (laughs) 
And then you read, then will I swear that beauty herself is black and all they foul that thy complexion lack. And I'm like, what? Tell me that wasn't a black woman. <laughs> yes. <laughs> With a black complexion and wire, black wires for hair. I defy anyone to tell me not to see myself when I read that. Hey. And, and, and to me, that's like that I'm allowed. And it's yes. not like Shakespeare didn't write about black people. And so to me, it's the principle of the theme. I, I grew up loving Shakespeare just because I love, you know, the irreducible multiplicity that, you know, Keats talks about him having the, you know, the not for an age, but for all timeness, the scope of humanity that he explores in in his plays. And then you have this body of sonnets where he's, it was so mind blowing to me that nobody had invited me to entertain the question in the first place that I thought, I'm just going to take this audacious leap and say, this sounds like a black woman to me. Right. To your question about like, why does it matter? It's like this very, it's like the most white of the whiteness of the canon in some ways. But I think that that's what makes it such a good Trojan horse because everyone's already said yes to Shakespeare. And then to demand that they now look at this thing they've already led into their schools, into their hearts, into their canon, and then say, but look at this. He was celebrating a black body here. And so demanding that we revisit the canon with a new lens that's more inclusive um, because Mm -hmm. of the position of the texts in people's imagination. That to me, it was like- We've been here. Yes. You have to see us here. You have to at least try and look. Yes. I think it's really important that we don't forget that we've always deserved this space and we've inhabited. And Shakespeare saw it, in my opinion. Um, and so that is valuable to me. Right. You recently tweeted, you were referencing Octavia Butler. You said radical acts of imagination are a way towards liberation. That's right. I think about how you then took the book of poetry and turned it into a ballet. Like that was radical imagination because we have been so excluded from Shakespeare. We've been so excluded from ballet. Like I studied ballet growing up and it's very much catered towards the white body, you know, from, you know, the the lack of curves and the ballet dancers, the Balanchine lines and mm-hmm. the, you know, the, the feet with the arches. And I remember being a 15 year old girl in ballet class thinking there's no future for me here. So what you did with that project, y'all created possible futures for little Black girls. It was powerful. I'm so glad that that is how you received it. That's so much the spirit in which it was intended. Yes, girl. I think I've been thinking a lot about, like, different versions of a same dream. Because when you say, Mm -hmm. like, you didn't see a place for yourself in ballet, um, and I didn't see a place for myself, I wanted to act. Right. But, you know, I poemed my way back onto stage for citing Shakespeare just like I'd always meant, right? Yes. And so there's, like, there's infinite ways back. It's that blues narrative and how it's different from a traditional mm-hmm. Western narrative. It's not linear and it doesn't follow a traditional arc of like growing conflict and then sort of this like, you know, seismic thing. And then like, you know, the denouement. It's really like blues narrative is about chance, repetition, and descent. It's about the journey, not the where you're going. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's about, uh, it's a how-to of like, how you live, how you survive. So like all of these chance things, they teach you something about how you handle anything. Right. And then the descent is like a good thing in the blues. It's like you you sink in and it's hard. It's too hard, but it's like that too hard that's also good, right? It's the mm. mud. Yes. I think about that 
Like we have all of this, this chance, this repetition, this descent in our lives as creatives, as black people in America, we're thinking like, what are the odds that I like write these poems, they get in these hands and it gets to the ballet, which sends me back to the stage, which sends me into your blues space to write poetry with you, which sends you. I mean, I just think that like those cycles of chance and repetition and we're having this really beautiful descent into this like brew of women who carry each other and find these different ways to lift. We take the hurt and turn it into something good, which again is the blues. <laughs> you know, you talk about the blues being that repetition. I think of the blues as like revisiting narratives, especially the dominant narrative. Like you revisit it, you look at it, you deconstruct it, you see through it. And last summer, so for y'all that don't know, last summer, Caroline, you wrote this essay in the wake of George Floyd's lynching and the protest you wrote uh, an essay entitled, You Want a Confederate Monument? My Body is a Confederate Monument. And I read that as a, as a blues narrative. I saw it as a disruption of Southern myth and innocence. And I'm curious, like, what, what do you think the blues still, the work the blues still has to do in forcing the South to confront, to revisit itself? I mean, it's, the blues work is the work. It's the American work. <laughs> it's not just the South. It's America as like the whole picture, right? I think, um, I, so in my class, I came up with this way of getting to know one another, which I now use in a lot of different contexts. But every day my students come into class and I said, first day of class, I said, I want you to tell everyone your lowercase b blues your uppercase B blues and your train out of town. So your lowercase B blues is that feeling that something that's too hard. What's your too hard thing? What's your, what's your lowercase B blues? Everyone can get a lowercase B blues, but Mm. the uppercase B blues is that pain that you turn into something good. Um, Mm. And specifically when we're talking about blues as an American music genre, we're talking about a sound that comes from It is the sound of collective Black suffering in the American South turned into a popular form of music that brings catharsis to people. Like, yes, I have I have transcended my trauma by announcing it in a way that brings other people pleasure like that. is what the blues does. So and then your train out of town is just like, what gets you going for Bessie Smith? It's gin. (laughs) For Billy, it was things we don't need to talk about right now. There's some trains out of town. Um, So I think that the work the blues has to do in America is we have to continue to announce our pain in a way that brings catharsis. Yes. And that is, and we need America to want that catharsis. And so it's a question of like, not of turning our pain into pleasure and making that pain a pain that more Americans feel because it because we are Americans. Like the I right. I too sing America. <laughs> right. Right. Like it's right. A, I think that my article was my hard thing is mm. is the is the how my skin got this color. That article yes. is the uppercase B blues that I, you know, I turned that into something that I think could do some good work and bring some relief to some people. So Girl. Yes. I think that was like an international catharsis. Like that article had legs. I think it was like the most popular article in the New York Times in 2020. I don't know about that. I think it definitely was. Girl. 
I, it was it, it was up there. I'm though. claiming it. It was up I'm there. I'm calling though. it. It was up there though. <laughs> Girl, it was huge. And you could see in the comment section, like you telling this truth about, you know, these white men who raped our 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 foremothers, mm-hmm. how our skin got to be this color, mm-hmm. telling that truth. And it was so interesting because you weren't talking to me. Because we know, like mm-hmm. we talk about this around our kitchen table. Mm-hmm. You were talking to the, you know the 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 oppressive class right because these are secrets that they know but they refuse to confront mm-hmm. and the blues makes you stick your nose in it that's right that's right Ooh. and and not just stick your nose but just dignify it with its own section of with its own time right like the blues yes. is about saying there no more coffee in the can and that is a tragedy for me this morning and it's worthy of remarking upon. Like whatever your small hard thing is, that was the revelation of the blues. We're not talking about the promised land. We're not talking about what comes next. We're not even we're not talking about heroes or heroines or like, you know, ballads of, you know, to be commemorated for centuries. This is like, this is my morning. Like I believe I'll dust my broom. I believe I'll drink this gin. You know, I'm gonna make this biscuit. <laughs> like, like I'm gonna like dignify these day to day, like my private truths with art. <laughs> Ooh, yes. Let me ask you this, girl. What song is giving you life right now? What you playing in your kitchen? Girl, I'm actually, I'm going to go old school. I cannot believe I'm about to say this. But honestly, ever since the Chauvin verdict, I've been listening on the regular to Fred Hammond sing, No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Shall prosper. <laughs> I listened to mm. it several times yesterday. That's right. I, I know like, that's right. That is getting me through right now. Oh no! Yeah, that's that's it. That's it right there. <laughs> mm, let the church say amen. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even like church like that anymore. But you know what? That is just some elemental stuff right there. Yes, yes. <laughs> so I'm curious if I could ask you because your work, your poetry for me is music, and this is a blues podcast. Would you indulge me with a poem? I would love to indulge you with a poem. You haven't heard this. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, yes. But it's called A Sustainable Call and Response. What are you asking us to want? What are you expecting our bodies will remember here? <laughs> Let me put it another way. You say farm to. I say field hand. You say fresh produce. I say strange fruit. You say, back to the basics, back to the land. I say, return. Return unto us our stolen acres. Give us our land back again. How shall we revisit a stolen thing? What harvest invites us home and our hands' blood still soaked to every now decorative plow? 
Our pastures with a pen stroke turned to someone else's flock. I say no. I say we have left your not yours farms for seats at tables. Our ability to sustain ourselves is our sustenance. Your sustainables come always and too often at our expense. And well, priority is as priority does so. Call me a resource, sugar. Put me on your list of things you hope endure. Come on now. Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. That was bread and butter. Come on now, girl. Oof. Well, girl, I'm going to be home from Carolina, and we're going to meet up, and we're going to grub, yeah. and we're going to talk. and write some more poems. We're going to gossip, too, because mm-hmm. I, got, I got tea to spill. <laughs> I cannot wait. I'll bring the I'll bring the uh, whiskey to put in the tea. <laughs> yes, ma'am. <laughs> Y'all, that was Caroline Randall Williams. We're gonna leave a link to Caroline's New York Times op-ed entitled "You Want a Confederate Monument? My Body Is a Confederate Monument" in the episode description. You can catch her poem, A Sustainable Calling Response, in print in the March 2021 issue of the Oxford American. You can also find the book we talked about, Lucy Negro Redux, out now in Third Man Books, at their website, in libraries, and independent bookstores near you. When I left my conversation with Caroline this week, I felt like I knew myself better. I want to recommend to y'all... Call that one friend of yours who is your friend in the blues. And I'm not talking about the music. I'm talking about that one friend that you can share that pain with, that one friend you can explore those parts of yourself that maybe feel vulnerable, but you need somebody to bear witness to that part of yourself. Like That's the blues. Don't hold on to your pain. Find a way to let somebody walk with you in your shadow. This has been Call and Response on Sono Sound System. Thank y'all for joining us this week. To hear all the music in the full version of the show, listen on Sonos Radio or find us at mixcloud.com sonos. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you like the show, rate it and share it with your friends. Let us know what you like about the show and let me know what music is meaning you in this moment. Hit us up on Instagram and Twitter at Sonos Radio. I'm Adia Victoria across all social media. I'm all ears. The show is produced by Work by Work, Scott Newman, Jimmer Rose Brown, Babette Thomas, Megan Lubin, and me, Adia Victoria. The show is mixed by Sam Baer. Extra gratitude to Joe Dawson and Saida Blount at Sonos. So until next time, you guys, keep your heart and your ears wide open. Y'all be good. <laughs> <laughs>